The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to talk the trade today, Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone. Arlen, thank you for joining us today as we start here on the grains. It was a mixed day. We saw a little bit of a noon swoon, especially there in the wheat, but all of our front months being able to end back into the grain. From your perspective, was this a good close for grains? Yeah, it really was. We had some headwinds from the outside markets, particularly with crude oil crashing lower today. And uh, overall, the commodities didn't fare that well, but the but the grain and oilseed markets held in there in positive territory. And any time you can face some of the pressures that uh, the other markets did and still end up in positive territory, I think that's a plus. Uh, we're seeing a lot of consolidation in here with some firm undertones ahead of Friday's USDA crop report. And, and I really take it as a positive sign. And that leads right up to it. We're just one full trading day away from that latest WASD and other U- critical USDA crop reports coming out on Friday. Early thoughts there. What are the key factors to be watching? Uh, for me, what I'm watching for is the corn and soybean yields, and I think for the United States crops, and I think that'll be some of the big things that the that the trade is going to be watching as well. I think the trade is fairly comfortable that the corn crop is probably somewhere between 176 and 178 bushels per acre. And there's also a sense that that might be the highest number we see this year based on the weather that we've been seeing here in the last couple of weeks and how mature the crop is this year. We've got areas of the Midwest where the crop is a good 15 days ahead of normal, so it shouldn't be long before we really know what the what the size of this corn crop is. Soybeans, though, are always a wild card and uh, still a big guessing game on where we're going to come out on soybean yield. But where USDA puts that first number uh, from actual field surveys uh, really helps set the tone and has big implications for the market going forward. And then I'm looking to see what USDA does with corn and soybean exports. We've had a strong export season this summer for corn and soybeans. Uh, just an amazing uh, campaign, and um, that's expected to continue in here a little bit longer. Some questions about um, what China does after Brazilian soybean supplies run out here this fall, uh, which could have some implications for the 1819 marketing year. And then ethanol uh, production is strong. This uh, Today's data for the last week's ethanol production showed that we were just below record levels in ethanol production last week. So we're using a lot of corn for ethanol. And uh, if you look at the marketing year to date, we're ahead of the pace needed to hit USDA's target by an estimated 15 million bushels. So we could see a little bit of an increase there. All of this playing well amid expectations of a big crop, but also tight supplies in the rest of the world, uh, which also that goes into the other things I'm watching for, is looking for USDA to make additional cuts to production in the major export competitors that we face for both corn and wheat, tightening up those global balance sheets. And Arlen, we've seen here in the latest crop progress report somewhat of a disconnect from what boots on the ground are seeing as to what they're reporting back there. Is there going to be the thought of kind of take this latest USDA report with a slight grain of salt just because of what we've been seeing in the crop progress reports? 
Well, there always is. Um, and that debate is uh, going to be alive and well this year as well. There's been a lot of theories about what's going on. Of course, we know last year, uh, I, I guess I give a little bit of break to those filling out the crop progress reports. It's a subjective, what does a crop look like type of a question. And we saw big yields across the Midwest because we had a long grain fill period of time. In other words, the time between pollination and maturity was long long and that allowed the plant to pack a lot of starches in there. So even where we had some tip pullback and some pollination issues, we had big kernels that helped make up for it and give higher than expected yield. That's not going to show up in the visual assessment of the crop, which is what the crop ratings are. This year, we had that last couple of weeks or July turned off pretty cool across much of the Midwest. We thought maybe we'd get that same benefit as well. But when you look at how mature the crop was this year, because much of May and June and early July were so warm, the crop, as I said, was running up to 15 days ahead of normal in, in maturity. And so the crop wasn't in position to benefit quite as much from that. And we're hearing some reports in the field from agronomists and stuff that suggest that maybe the crop isn't quite what we think. So, and then the other factor goes into it, a lot of those crop uh, condition raters, uh, surveyors that uh, fill out those reports each week, took a lot of criticism last year for underestimating the condition of the crop. Maybe they're making some subconscious adjustments and rating it higher this year at a time they shouldn't. So a lot of theories. We really won't know till we get that January estimate, but that's some of the things being talked about. Other things to look at here coming from USDA export targets with all the jumble and the rumble going out right now in our uh, global trade patterns and our global trading partners. What can we expect here looking at exports going forward? I think we'll, well, first of all, when we look at what the FOB uh, prices are the, at, at the port prices for corn and for soybeans for United States, Argentina, Brazil, and elsewhere, Ukraine, U.S. is still the best price supplier of corn and soybeans in the world. So that suggests that we've got a good, ex- and, and that's for anyone wanting to make purchases in August, September, for October delivery, uh, right on through the fall, it looks like we're going to have a strong export campaign going forward. U.S. is at such a discount to the to Brazil and uh, in corn, excuse me, soybean prices that uh, we've got the rest of the world's business. Again, Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone, talking the trade with us today on the Fontenelle Final Bell. Still coming up, we look at outside global markets as well as how U.S. trade sanctions impact our domestic markets here as well. So a lot still left coming up. You can always find the latest in ag news and market information at our website, ruralradio.com, where you can also find podcast archives of previous Fontenelle Final Bell. Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone, joins us to talk the trade today. And Arlen, as we were talking in the break, there's a lot of global pictures coming into it. And at INTLFC Stone, you guys uh, work with a lot of countries and a lot of end users, producers from all around the globe. So as we look here, there was some interesting news coming out. Uh, the U.S. putting more sanctions on Russia banking, and that really dipped the ruble. How does that tie back into U.S. and U.S. crops? 
Uh, yeah, it certainly does, and we're watching constantly watching these developments around the world, and is, is Congress uh, getting upset with the Russia's interference in elections, and is considering passage of a bill now that would put significant sanctions on uh, Russian banks being able to do business here, and uh, as a result, uh, Russia's currency, the ruble, has plummeted today. That news came out late yesterday, so today was the first day that. Uh, uh, Russian ruble could trade that, and it just plummeted, uh, and and that creates inflation in within Russia and a lot of problems within Russia and for their economy. But it also does make them more competitive. A cheap currency it makes them more competitive in crude oil and in the grains. As you know, they're a major competitor in wheat. They're also the largest crude oil producer in the world, although we should overtake that position by the end of the year, and we should be the top crude oil producer. Um, but it doesn't allow them to be more competitive. And as we talk about uh, crude oil, and you kind of take a look, we saw a sharp sell-off here in crude oil production. Does that come back to uh, China maybe trying to tighten its belt on its crude oil consumption? Uh, you know, tighten its belt sounds like it's intentional. I do think, though, there's some speculation that it's an indication of uh, the de- economy being hurt by the trade war within China. And we're seeing other indications of that. Factory output numbers are really dropping in China. Their economy's taking a hurt. And when the economy slumps, so does demand for energy. And it's believed that may be part of the reason why some of the numbers over the last couple of months for Chinese demand for crude oil imports have been dropping, and uh, that was a real concern today, and uh, you add that to to the uh, energy inventory report that came out today here in the United States showing a smaller draw in crude oil supplies, uh, and here again, that just kind of fed and hit some chart signals, and uh, we saw some sharp sell-offs in crude oil, down almost 4% at one point when I looked, finished the day a little bit off of those lows, a little about 3% off. When we're talking about Chinese consumption, obviously their population, a lot of things factor into it, but they use a lot of, uh, when the U.S. it comes to our soybeans and more, but you were taking a look at their corn stocks number, and it looks like they may be uh, short quite a few bushels when it comes to uh, their corn needs. Absolutely, and this is one of the reasons I'm friendly to the corn market longer term. It's going to take a little time. They have the big reserves right now, um, but when we look at China, their own government estimates uh, suggest that their consumption is about 260 million metric tons. Their production is expected to be around 216 million metric tons, and that they predict about 45 million metric tons shortfall. That's about 1.8 billion bushel shortfall this year. Uh, and that's up almost double the shortfall from last year. So the shortfall continues to grow. That's because feed usage is up to about 8.8%. Uh, and uh, we're uh, seeing that ethanol usage is up significantly as well, about 13%. Uh, they're just using a lot more corn. And once those reserves are used up, they're going to need to get more corn from somewhere else. They can't increase production fast enough. And uh, the world needs to have a price that will stimulate an expansion of production before China runs out. And I think that's another reason why I expect corn to be a big winner out of any trade deal we eventually get with China. 
Arlen, as we see, uh, we've talked about the strategy that President Trump may be taking out when he's looking at China. He's looking to hurt their economy while they're trying to hurt his political base. And it's kind of a, a game of chicken of who's going to blink first. With the uh, the slump we see here in their crude oil consumption and some of these items, but we see they're still going to need plenty of grains. Can the Chinese ho- economy hold out until November? That's the big question we're watching. So far, it looks like they can. We are seeing some signs, though, of trouble. We're seeing some rapidly rising cash soybean prices within China now, uh, suggesting that the market's finally starting to show the tightening up supplies it's throwing up in their futures market. Some of their economic data is starting to show some concerns. Uh, and when you see those soybean prices rise, that means that food inflation's just around the corner. The question is whether that food inflation hits before the midterm elections here in the United States. Arlen, quick and last question as producers are taking this all in. Is this kind of a hold pattern that they should be thinking about, or again, is it one that they should be active in their marketing thoughts? Well, you simply always need to be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, what's your downside price risk? My sense personally is that we'll probably have an agreement somewhere in November or December. That's Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone, joining us here on the Fontenelle Final Bell. We've covered a large gamut of, of topics and a range of questions here, a lot of them focusing on the grain markets and those outside market factors and global trade influences that can impact our domestic markets. This has been the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. listening to the Rural Radio Network.